0: Welcome to Off The Beat, the podcast that discusses all things law enforcement from a cop's point of view. My name's DJ Seals. I'm a former detective and crime analyst and SWAT operator from the Metro Atlanta area. I currently work for Motorola as a law enforcement consultant, but this podcast will never be about product or sales, and that I promise you. I came up with this idea because I wanted to have a place where we could have a conversation about current police issues without you, my listener, Well, quite frankly, feeling like they were in a sales pitch. I wouldn't listen to that, and I'm sure you wouldn't either. Before we get to the topic, I wanted to let you know that I'm actually recording this in Montgomery County, Texas. I had a great time with some friends out here this week, and I wanted to thank you, my listeners. This is just my fourth podcast, and we already have listeners in 18 states and six countries. I'm truly amazed. (laughs) We intentionally have not done any marketing I didn't want this podcast to turn into a marketing slick. This is all word of mouth. And for that, I thank you. I also want to thank a particular listener, Vanessa. She actually sent me a letter (laughs) that she was listening to one of my earlier podcasts, and she remembered a button that she had, and she wanted me to have it. So she sent me this button. The button, which I'll post on Twitter, says, but we've always done it this way, with a circle around it and a line through it. I love it, Vanessa. Thanks. Now, let's get to our topic. The topic is, ironically, because we've always done it this way. So, congratulations, right? You're set up, you've had your meetings, and everyone's on the same page about your department's new initiatives. You're going to roll out soon, and you're excited. This is the next best thing since radios and handcuffed keys with lights and Velcro duty belts. But... Now comes the hard part, putting intelligence-led policing into long-term action. You know, it's not something that can be tried for a season and then put on a shelf. In this podcast series, we've discussed how it must be at the heart of an organization-wide approach at policing. Intelligence-led policing or any initiatives that you roll out, uh, any new things to your department will take an adjustment period for everyone to be comfortable with using it. You know, we've got to throw out what I call the shotgun method of patrolling. I know, hold on, I'm about to get on to patrolling here, but just, just follow me for a minute. We've got to throw out that shotgun method to be adequate or effective. Okay, what's the shotgun method? It, it, it It's not walking around with a shotgun. It's different. What it is, is just driving around in your zone, checking your buildings, answering your calls, and otherwise seeing it with you can drive up on something right now hold on i'm not saying that that's not going to happen it's going to happen that's part of the job what i'm saying is that's the way we've always done it so you gotta ask yourself is this effective in your department perhaps to a point could you be more effective let me explain i had a patrol captain bj Yes, I know, DJ, BJ, but BJ Hewell. And he used to tell us, be in your zone. Now, taking that at face value, it may sound shallow. It may sound very similar to what I just explained and said we got to walk away from. But this was the same captain that used to hide, no joke, he used to hide a three and a half by five note card somewhere, anywhere in the city, anywhere. And the shift had to find that card before we went home. And if we didn't, we stayed until we found it. He wasn't being mean, he was teaching us. We we didn't realize it at the time, right? He didn't just want us to drive around aimlessly. He wanted us to be aware, informed, and effective. We used to say to him, Captain, that's like finding a needle in a haystack. (laughs) Can't do that, that's just crazy. And he would say to us, well, if you get good at finding needles, then you should have no problem finding people. That stuck with me. Well, what we found over time was that Captain was hiding these cards in areas that were experiencing high crime. Now, how did he know that? This was before analytics. This was before intelligence. BJ was a good cop. BJ read the reports. He he knew what was going on. He talked to the other shifts and he knew that there was a much more effective way to direct your patrols to where they need to be, when they need to be there by using the intelligence that you already have at your disposal. No products, no fanciness, no wizardry. He just knew that there was a better way. And we found those cards we found those cards in some weird places. You know, and eventually BJ became the captain of detectives and eventually brought me up to the detectives division. And I learned even more from him from that point of view. But BJ was old school and he was old school, but he was not afraid to change. Now, today, we probably wouldn't still use note cards, although that may not be a bad idea for some of you. Give it a shot. Let me know how it goes. We use geographic maps and hotspots and time of day and day of week analysis, and we put it all together to show when and where and what and maybe who. Then we use that data to direct your patrol. You know, They stand a much greater chance to prevent or disrupt a criminal pattern in their area if they have a rhyme or reason behind their movements. I, you know, I used to say and, and I don't mean this in disparaging because I throw myself in there that, that we're like we're like bloodhounds. Give us something to look for and we'll find it. You know, BJ also was one of those that would say you know, if we were looking for somebody, we had a uh, a bolo on somebody or we had a rash of burglaries or a vehicle we were looking for and he used to stand up and say whoever finds this person or vehicle or whatever first, I buy him lunch. Didn't seem like much, but it was a challenge. <laughs> we, we wanted to find it. We are we competitive in nature, and frankly, we're there to do that job. So if you give them something to look for, give them a reason to be there, they're going to find it. Now, patrol will not be the only beneficiary of your new intelligence-led policing initiative or whatever you're putting together. Your department's special teams will certainly benefit from your newfound directive. I'm a big believer in specialized reports for specialized teams. I put together narcotics reports, traffic reports, detective bureau, and SWAT. Throughout my career, I created specialized reports for narcotics that not only showed the house we were investigating, but the houses in close proximity that were probably also dealing narcotics or most definitely also dealing narcotics from the information we had. Now, why did they do that? Well, the obvious benefit of these reports would be to show possible networks of narcotic sales localized in certain neighborhoods and expand that investigation. An added benefit and a safety benefit would be to use those maps when planning undercover operations or swat operations so as not to base your operation near a house with similar criminal activity that might compromise your location you know, for my traffic teams the reports on specific streets where the most speeding tickets were written might indicate where we would need to set up a speed reduction device like a traffic monitoring trailer or red light camera now that that may seem normal that may seem like something you're doing it may be something you're doing but what i'm talking about is a step further don't just say well i know that's a high traffic area Uh, how do you know that are are you sure that's a high traffic area it's amazing so many agencies that i've worked with good cops know the crime good cops know where the crime is But what I found is it's not necessarily what we know that can hurt us. It's what we don't know. It's the unknown and using the data you have, whether you have an analytics tool or whether you're going through your CAD and RMS data, or you're going through your field interview cards or whatever that may be using the data you have, don't just focus on the areas that you go, oh yeah, that area. Oh, that that's that area. Look at everything, and see if something pops up. See if something pops up that you go, I didn't. What is that? What's going on there? I didn't. What's that's new to me? I didn't realize that was going on. It, It it's probably going to be a lighter crime area, but follow me here. That's good. Let's get on it before it turns into that area. Let's get on it before it becomes so notorious that every cop with two weeks under their belt, okay, knows that that is a rough, difficult area. Lots of crime. I routinely produce reports based solely on the cases assigned to my detectives division separated by property and persons. What do I mean by that? Well, in our our department, our detectives were assigned persons or property crimes and then typically assigned a particular zone to handle those persons or property crimes, well, I would show it overall, but I want them to be able to see their particular zone. Then the comparison of that zone on that type of crime to the other zones around it. Then what you're going to do is start looking at correlations across zones that might have the same suspect or MO or or, or, or set of circumstances that might tie them together. We don't want to investigate in a bubble. I was able to show through various visualizations where the majority of each zone assigned detectives' cases were originating from and from a historical point of view of that report estimate the seasonal caseload that each detective might expect so that they might focus on their most prolific and serious offenders. Also, and because we're still coming upon the holidays here, we all have those areas that, as we spoke of in the last, last podcast, that just just go straight up around the holidays. There's certain types of crime. Well, does that particular detective or set of detectives need some augmenting, some help during that season? Because there's spikes where maybe another uh, starts to slow down because a lot of crime has moved to another zone. You know, I mean, maybe you'll go so far as to not worrying about zones at certain times of year, just assigning the majority, to where they need to be based on need. Now, do you want to do that after it occurs, or do you want to do that proactively and say, okay, we've got to get this ramped up. We know that every time of year, this particular area of town goes up in these type of crimes. These detectives are the best at those types, so I'm assigning those detectives to this area for this season. Let's get on this. It's a thought. This is what we're talking about just because we've always done it that way, right? Don't use that as an excuse because, as we've said in previous podcasts, our criminals aren't. They're moving. They're getting better. As for my SWAT team, I was able to create a report that showed, through the use of geographic satellite maps and such as that, criminal activity overlay. What do I mean by that? Well, based on the location of where this house or building or wherever it may be that we're going to be executing a warrant on today, what's the activity around it? And you say, come on, DJ, every, every SWAT team knows a ton of information about the area they're going, the, the house or the business. They, they know all of that. They know the suspects. They get all that. Okay. But like my narcotics, do they know what's going on around it? Perfect example. Every SWAT team I've ever worked with has an entry team and a perimeter team, at least. The entry team is focused on the target location. The perimeter team is focused on securing the area around while the entry team enters the building or the house. But what if you could empower your perimeter team with intelligence that says, once you get out, you take the AB corner But the house next to the AB corner also has, historically, a drug dealer living in it. Not our target today, but are we assuming that they know when we roll into a neighborhood what house we're going to? No, of course not. They don't know. They just know here comes the truck and it may be coming for me. So you don't know what threats might lie in the houses next to it. Not just the house you're going to. So this overlay I created helped us understand where to best place our perimeter team to keep us all safe, and it worked quite well. You know, my best advice to you and your department as you begin with this new intelligence-led policing chapter, or whatever it is you're rolling out, would be to not just look outside the box, get out of the box, crush the box, throw the box away, and stop working in a box we all create these boxes for ourselves within each department don't we we go this is how i do things this is my area and it, okay i'm i'm not i'm not throwing blame i'm not you know casting dispersions and talking about myself as much as i am anybody else we all find ourselves in that rut that pattern right just because we've always done it that way doesn't mean it's applicable or right or effective today throw the box away if you still need to be in a box then create a new one just make sure that you recycle the box (laughs) i'm totally gone off the rails here recycle the box you know about once a quarter just find a new box see if that new box works better for you don't be afraid to move ask yourself how would this information visualized in a different way, better help our department. So instead of looking at that traffic pattern as, here's where all the wrecks happen, okay, start looking at why, what's going on there. Is it a time of day? Is it uh, weather? Is it road conditions? Is it that's the light that we always have to reset because it's out all the time? Look at different ways to solve the problems, especially those that plague you over and over and over again. You know what they say, right? The the, the first sign of mental instability is repeating processes, but expecting a different outcome, right? Don't fall into that trap. Also ask yourself, if you could improve one thing about how you receive information on crimes, what would it be? how you receive information? Are you getting all the information that you need? When you get it, are you using it in the proper way? Then work with those suggestions to tailor your intelligence-led policing approach specifically towards your department's needs. So ask, are we getting everything we need? Could we be getting more? Are we doing all those field interview cards or are they not? If they're not, why not? because it's too difficult. They don't understand the process. Maybe maybe they don't understand the value. a rookie cop might not understand the value of that, right? The detective's division, those things are invaluable. Every piece of intelligence, no matter how seemingly small, is extremely important in the big picture. Don't assume that just because you're used to a certain reporting style or visualization, that that's the best way or the only way to create that report. You know, when I work with agencies all over the world, uh, one of the things I focus on is paperwork, reporting, SOPs. And I look at them and I go, okay, let's read this. Okay, it says you're doing this. Okay, then I'll go and, 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 and I view and I watch and I learn. And if I don't see them doing it, I bring that up. Hey, your SOP says you do it this way but I never saw that here. I saw this process. Now hold on, no, don't get mad at your staff because they're not following that. I see why they're not following it. This happens many times. I go, the, the process in the SOP didn't work. So they found a new process, a better process, a more effective and efficient process, and they moved to it. I'm not saying change the process, I'm saying change the paperwork to match the new and better process. You know, paperwork's easy to change. I, I know you probably have approval processes and you, maybe you have a, a I don't know, uh, a, a whole panel of people that have to approve, you know, SOP changes. Okay. So go through it. Don't get handcuffed yourself to paperwork because you are reluctant to change it. If it's a better process, The paperwork just backs up the process. The paperwork never is intended to keep us on a path. The paperwork is intended to put some concrete in the path that you're taking, to prove that this is what you do. If you find a different and better way, then go for it. You know, like most cops, I have a bit of a strange sense of humor. And therefore, I really enjoy these demotivational posters. I've spoken about them before. You know, the ones that look like motivational posters, beautiful pictures, and very, very bold type on them. But these actually have a cynical or smart aleck way of looking at things. I love these things. Well, one of my favorite of these posters kind of sums up my thoughts on this well, we'll just keep doing it this way because that's the, that's the way we've always done it. We're comfortable, whatever, just keep going. You know what that is? The definition is apathy. I'm sorry, it may hurt, but it's apathy. We've got to break out of our predetermined boxes to reach any new levels of policing. So this particular picture, it's a picture of a cheetah. And I'll post this one on Twitter too. It's a picture of a cheetah. The cheetah is the fastest land animal on earth, 68 miles an hour. The potential of this animal, right? But this particular cheetah is just kind of lying down looking solemn, if a cheetah can look solemn. And this one is looking solemn. Well, the quote is, it takes 43 muscles to frown and 17 to smile. But it doesn't take any just to sit there with a dumb look on your face. Yeah, apathy. Reject it, stay away from it. Apathy gets us nowhere. Review your processes. Are they working? Great. Are they not working? Then change them, move them, evolve your processes. That is how we succeed in law enforcement. All right, it's that time again. Time to take a look at some crazy but true police blotter stories. To begin this episode of Stupid Criminals, I've actually got one I saw myself here in Montgomery County, Texas just yesterday morning. I was driving in and I saw a vehicle that was having trouble maintaining a lane. No, that's too small. I was actually in a turn lane and I thought this vehicle was going to hit me in my rental car. Not having trouble maintaining lane, just kind of liked all three lanes and was using all of them. But she, you know, she straightened up, pulled in next to me. And I looked over to her because I thought, what in the world's going on? I am not joking you. This woman was eating her breakfast. You go, oh, I've seen that before. I don't mean a granola bar. I mean a full breakfast. With a napkin, a plate, like like from the cupboard plate, and a metal fork. Eggs, I saw eggs, bacon. <laughs> I didn't think I saw some grits, I'm in Texas. She looked over at me and I must have had a look on my face, right? Because she stopped eating mid fork to mouth, put the fork on the plate and threw the plate in the floorboard beside her, put both hands on the wheel. About that time the light turned green and she was able to track that line. <laughs> Crazy. Well, I, you know, I thought that was bad and and so I came back that evening and I said, I got to look I got to look up more of these. But check out this criminally talented individual from Oregon. Portland police received reports of a reckless driver. Hmm, Very similar. When they located the vehicle, they realized that the driver was eating dinner. Hey, much like the lady I saw here. But this driver was a special kind of stupid, okay? This driver in Portland was using chopsticks. And if that wasn't bad enough, was also talking on the phone at the same time. Talent, crazy, don't know. Pure nuts, that's what I do know. A man suspected of arson and vandalism sent a selfie to the police in Ohio because he he found the photo on his arrest warrant to be unflattering, not a joke. The man texted police a photo of himself and wrote, here's a better photo, that one's terrible. Then he called into a local radio station and he said man they just did me wrong they put a picture out that made me look like i was a thundercat or james brown on the run i can't do that (laughs) well the police in ohio responded by saying we thank him for being helpful but now we would appreciate if he would come speak to us they didn't find him in ohio but he was arrested a week later in florida of course he's in florida because that's the actions of florida man And the last one for today, officials were left baffled, This is an overseas one here, were left baffled by an Afghan Taliban commander who gave himself up and then tried to claim the $100 reward for his capture. That's right. According to reports, he walked up to a police checkpoint in 2012, pointed to a wanted poster of him and asked for the $100 finder's fee. Authorities were at a complete loss to explain his actions Although one U.S. official reportedly told journalists, quote, Clearly this man is an imbecile. You know, as we go along this journey together, I may say some things you don't agree with. Or maybe you do agree with me and even have a topic you would like me to cover. Or maybe you have a funny police story you'd like to share with me. I encourage you to email me at beat at motorolasolutions.com to give me your thoughts and ideas and check out my twitter page at dj underscore off the beat and before i sign off i wanted to dedicate this podcast to my friend and former assistant chief Almond turner Almond, you are a great friend a great cop and you will be missed until next time stay diligent stay educated and stay safe